Welcome to the StockFam Investor Education Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned investor or one of the millions of people entering the market for the first time, StockFam provides the fundamentals to help you grow your wealth. This is a podcast for investors. We give quality companies the chance to tell their stories while providing you with the tools to invest wisely. If you want to get out in front of the herd instead of being a part of it, join us at StockFam. In this episode of the Stock Fan Podcast, Sean and Hammy welcome CEO of Amped Ventures, Anthony Brown, and also CSO, James Herthouse, for an in-depth discussion regarding the metaverse. Following an introduction of who they are, their role within the company, and some recent corporate updates, Anthony and James provide insight as to what the metaverse is and Amp's role within it moving forward. Key questions will be answered regarding the metaverse and how Amped will underpin the metaverse as a top-tier provider of high-performance and low-latency cloud computing. By understanding the individual components of the metaverse, Anthony and James are able to elaborate on how Amped is an all-encompassing solutions provider in the metaverse domain by utilizing their technology to address each component, especially with their planned initiatives through the departure lounge. Furthermore, Anthony and James highlight the ways in which the metaverse is gaining traction globally through a combination of megatrends and high investment interest in companies within the space, such as Amped. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and without further delay, let's dive right into the metaverse. So James, uh, tell, let's let's get into a little bit of your thoughts on the metaverse and where you see where it is now and kind of where you see it going and kind of the work that you've been doing the last you know, 20, 20 or so years on the metaverse. Yeah, 20, 20 or so years, you're right. Yeah, it's interesting. As I mentioned last week, you know, uh, when we spoke, uh, for me, the metaverse has been part of my interest for yeah a couple of decades, ever since I was at university. Um, back in 2007, I contributed to a white paper called the Metaverse Roadmap. You know, so for us, this conversation has been part of what we've been talking about for for a number of years now. Um, and in fact, you know, I got into video games in the first place because we could or I could really see how early day video game technology and game design, and game economies and all these kinds of things uh, would lead to this day. Right. So, you know, back in the late 80s and mid 90s, when you were looking at Snow Crash and Ready Player One and other you know, works of fiction, I guess, at that time. You know, the idea that that would one day become reality is always, I think, been part of, you know, video game developers' psyche, right? You know, we we've been experimenting with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people on the same in the same virtual world. We've been experimenting with virtual economies. We've been, you know, experimenting with user-generated content. Uh, we've had to push forward the the uh, outer limits of technology when it comes to the server and when it comes to the client and the engine technology itself, right? And all of these things I think have been leading to this, you know, next generation of the internet where everything goes 3D. And yeah, like I, I said last week, it's uh, it's a great time to be alive as a, as a video game guy. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think back to, you know, late 90s and, and the video games back then and, you know, you get an awesome game come out and, you know, you, but you'd need a certain you know, type of video card, certain type of connection. So, Anthony, can can you talk about that side of it, like uh, in terms of the metaverse, in terms of compute power, in terms of infrastructure and networking, and, and talk to us a little bit about the requirements uh, of that and why that's required for the metaverse? Sure. Well, I, you know, the first thing is it all comes down to latency. Um, so, 
the, the problem that you've got is you've got a lot of computing that has to happen to make this 3D interactive world exist. And, and it needs to be in a centralized place to have thousands of people exist in it at the same time. And so the latency or the, the amount of time it takes data to go from your, you know, let's say it'll be augmented reality glasses connected to a cell phone in the future, for example. Um, for the amount of time that it takes the data to go from there to this ver this computer that's running the virtual world and doing all of that high-end computing and back again is is the big issue that, that everybody needs to address. And so that comes down to two things. One is last mile latency in the network, right? And that's where 5G comes in. That's where, because 5G actually mitigates the amount of latency that you have between your cell phone and the cell tower by a lot. So 4G is about 40 milliseconds. 5G is one millisecond. The less milliseconds, the better. So once you're able to kind of enable that, that sort of, uh, of communication, get down to that one millisecond, then it has to go to the computing. Now, if it's going off to, say, a commodity cloud kind of standard internet designed to do, you know, uh, e-commerce and streaming and various other things, um, it's going to slow down to that speed. So you need to have that high-performance computing that it's connecting to to then process those graphics in real time and, and, and make that all happen. And so by combining those two things, by getting that latency down from the connection, from the, from the, the network, and getting to that compute as quickly as possible, and then having that compute be powerful enough and fast enough to feed back over that connection the data, that's where you get your 3D interactive world. Now that's kind of what Ampt has been building since its inception. That the you know the, the hosting company for the metaverse kind of is 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 kind of what we're doing here. Um, right. But that that just you know that's what needs to get built, and it's going to be a lot of infrastructure. Now, in in developed countries, the telcos have put a lot of fiber in the ground. Uh, you've got clusters of, of, of uh, 5G already springing up and already available, uh, and so we're seeing that now go. So if you're in a major urban district, chances are you're, you've got access to fiber or you've got ex access to 5G. That's what's required to be a, that and some high-performance compute is what's required to have a you know, world in the metaverse actually work uh, as, as, as it's being described. Right, and particularly as you start to look at more and more users in the same space, right? You're probably familiar with video. Most multiplayer video games still, you know, when you get up to about 100, 200 people playing in the same world, they do what's called sharding, right? And so yeah. sometimes you might not find your buddies in the same world that you're in, right? But, you know, now there's a lot of people starting to experiment with the idea of fully contiguous worlds, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 100,000 people in that same virtual environment. And in order to make that happen, we also need high-performance computing that's not only available, but it's also elastic, right? Because there'll be certain times during the week where, you know, maybe there's only 5,000 people in that space. And then who knows what happens? You know, everybody wants to hang out in, the, in, a, in a virtual club on a Saturday night with 50,000 buddies. You obviously don't want, really want sharding, right? So again, another example of the type of stuff that we've been working on at Amped. Uh, from a long time ago, actually, contiguous virtual worlds um, is part of the is part of Antonio my history, right? So, right. brilliant. So, I just wanted to zoom out a little bit and talk about the metaverse for a corporate financial guy that's not so much into tech like like Graham and Oami is, or like you guys. Um, Facebook is now trying to be the flag bearer <laughs> of the metaverse. 
we have other companies like Nike today and Microsoft announced that they are going to enter the metaverse as well. I just wanted to see what aspects of the metaverse beside the infrastructure part is AMT getting into because I know in the previous presentation that James was going through the last time we spoke about there's so many different layers um, that was touched upon and I want to see how this departure lounge and the acquisition of that platform is going to help take AMT into the next step um, of the metaverse. Yeah, so I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at it, right? And, you know, we're obviously familiar with a, with a couple of different groups that are looking at it in different ways, right? So uh, on the one hand, you've got, for example, the Meta ETF, uh, Exchange Traded Fund, which Matthew Ball uh, put together with Roundhill. So they sort of approach the metaverse ecosystem with seven main layers, right? And so down at the bottom, you've got high performance compute and cloud right, which is obviously AMP's sort of bread and butter. And then you've got the networking on top of that. And Anthony sort of mentioned 5G companies as well. Above that, you get things what they describe as interchange standards. So that means kind of development tools that allow people to collaborate, you know, whether, you know, wherever they're sitting, whatever tool they're in, you know, maybe you've got some guy working on weather simulation and another guy working on architectural forms. So until recently, all of those different tools would be kind of separate and in their own walled garden. So there's a lot of companies trying to make those things accessible so that different people can work on different things and still have them all come to fruition within this single uh, space, you know, in the metaverse. On top of that, then you need payments, you need a new type of commerce potentially. And obviously that's where things like the blockchain and fungible, non-fungible tokens come into play. On top of that, you have another infrastructure layer or another technology layer, which is really the tools designed to allow, you know, human beings and objects and, you know, geographies, landscapes to be transformed into assets that can be used, viewed and, you know, play and work in the metaverse. On top of that, you get the platforms themselves, right? So which environments are people going to appear in once they've turned themselves, for example, into hologram? And then on top of that, you get all the people that are building content, right? So uh, in a sense, it's almost like a mirror of the real world in that regard. Uh, there's a couple of other groups look at it slightly differently where you still have the infrastructure layer. Then they have human interface, which is a similar thing that I just talked about in terms of, you know, how are we actually going to take our journey into the metaverse? Uh, then you look at sort of like the same sorts of platforms. Then there's a whole sort of piece around creator economy which again touches on what we were talking about with uh, tokens and blockchain and potentially decentralized organizations and things like that. Then there's still the discovery and the advertising and the engagement piece, you know, which is why I think, you know, as you're looking at Nike and some of those other guys that you just mentioned, you know, for them, the idea of being able to have people not only view an ad, but try on the shoe or figure out how Nike becomes part of, you know, virtual world uh, athletics, events or all these types of things you know open up a whole new world of possibilities for for advertisers right and then finally you get the experiences themselves right so obviously whatever it is 350 million people love playing Fortnite. you know 30 million people whatever it was came to see travis scott do a live show right and so you know all of these so i think you can take two different views of it but really you get those fundamental components of the infrastructure piece the tools that we need in order to be able to actually access the metaverse and then you know everything that's currently going on on the real in or, or sorry on the current internet 2d internet will happen in this 3d realized space right which obviously creates more depth and more excitement more engagement uh you know and and uh, potentially bigger economic upside
Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm going, if you don't mind, I'm going to follow up a question with, with Anthony uh, on that. Um, Anthony, congratulations on the oversubscribed uh, private placement that you had. It's a testimony to the trust and the work that you've done over the past couple of years, and that's bearing fruit right now. Given the hype and the excitement about the metaverse, I was just wondering what position and what role is AMS going to play in the metaverse universe of Canada? And what projects, given that you have plenty of um, investment and capital available, what projects should we expect to see from AMT in the near future, medium term and also the long term? Okay, well, let's see. There's a lot to unpack there, Sean. I will do my best uh, to. As to, long as we don't get not, into trouble with the regulators. Be, tell you, and tell you as much as I can about it. So, so um, first of all, you know, Vancouver, where, where our head office is, uh, is, is Hollywood North. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of digital content creation that happens here. It's a it's a large video game development center, but primarily one of, and one of the most important things is it's one of the largest uh, centers for mixed reality businesses in the world. Uh, and so, being headquartered here in Vancouver, uh, you know, we already have a bunch of customers that are are based here in Vancouver on our infrastructure. Now we built our first data center here. Uh, you know, there's there's lots to be said about that, and then we acquired a, a Canadian national cloud company, uh, Cloud A. So you know that that is certainly showing the that that you know Canada is not going to be left out of this race. I mean, there, there's there's a lot that's going on in Canada around the metaverse. We're hearing about the big U.S. companies right now, uh, and you know maybe you know Amt is is not yet uh, one of those big um, uh, uh, conglomerates that to talk about these sorts of things at that level. Um, uh, but it, 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 there's a ton of business that's going on here in Canada already. Now, that being said, the metaverse is a global phenomenon. Uh, our customers are global customers. Uh, in many cases, we'll be dealing with a company that has a division in Canada and is looking to supply all of its content creators around the world with Virtual Studio, for example. Uh, and so, you know, we do need to start to build out the, the, the infrastructure around the world. And that's, of course, where the pods come in. Uh, those are the first, you know, uh, um, uh, first pieces of infrastructure we're actually deploying. We did decide to do, deploy them in L.A. Um, and, uh, and uh, Amsterdam. A bunch of reasons for that. Number one, network. Remember that latency I was talking about? So getting the right coverage to be able to make sure that we can be in that last mile range. Uh, for the people that we want to service, um, and that's why Amsterdam in, in Europe and, and why uh, LA in, in California. Uh, and secondly, uh, you know, being able to just you know have that uh, uh, full suite of tools available to the users right there to be able to try, so that we don't have to build it and then they and then give them a go on it. It's already there. They you know you want to try a virtual workstation. Here's a login. You know, how do you like it? Was it awesome? How many would you like? And and that's that's how this stuff will really start to proliferate. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, yes, Canada is like a great place to be to run this type of business. The the talent here is absolutely phenomenal. You know, we've seen we've seen Vancouver and uh, being one of the most innovative you know cities in, in North America. And why? Well, it's because it had EA. It's because it yeah, had strong history of video games. Video game yeah. Industry innovating uh, uh, from the 80s, uh, and a very strong concentration of that. And that talent grew out from that. The schools 
have amazing programs around digital content creation and virtual reality and all that sort of stuff here that, you know, and, and, and yet we're always looking for more talent. The, the government is continually looking at ways to attract talent to BC because we, even with as much as there already is, thousands and thousands of digital media employees, they have an industry association of which James used to be the executive director. Um, I was. I've been preaching games, video games as the driver of innovation for a number of years, right? And yeah. you're absolutely right, for sure. Yeah. So, so you know, I think A, Canada is a great place for, for, for this to be the birthplace of, of Amped and Departure Lounge and what we're building. Um, and, uh, and I think, and I know, this is something that the rest of the world will need. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's a real opportunity for Canada, right. I think. I think so. I mean, and then, you know, just to sort of add on to that a little bit, you know, part of what excites me about the Departure Lounge is that even though we can't disclose too much about the sort of types of projects that we're going to be working on, it does mean that we would never be developing technology for technology's sake, right? We're always going to have a challenge in front of us. So, you know, whether or not it's holographic capture and how we can improve the speed with which those uh, 3D models are created, or we want to try and take what we have and figure out how to do it completely live or any number of different things, you know that there's always this sort of 20, 20 years of technological expertise that Anthony and Don bring to the table via AMP that we can utilize, right? And so these challenges, whether or not it's from a technological perspective or whether or not it's a particular piece of content that we can conceive of, that's really gonna help us because in a way we'll be like, okay, come up with the technical solution, come up with the infrastructure solution for that, right? We know we've already got a great basis. And then when we do that, obviously it won't only be the departure lounge that are facing these challenges, right? And so I think it means that the technology that we'll be bringing to market gets road tested and it gets developed for a specific purpose, which is always the best way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah I've got sure. to say, you've said the standards up here, but um, the enthusiasm is right then. I'm sure you meet the high expectations that you have set yourself over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing, sorry, I just, just want that, you know, video games guys are always, you know, one of the key things is always, wouldn't it be cool if, right? Can you mm -hmm. imagine if we were able to, right? And in some ways, this combination of the sort of creative abilities and the tools and technologies that we get to play with and sort of like this foundation that we've got with them is it's the ultimate environment to be able to say, wouldn't it be cool if, and then, you know, using the AMP lab, we can go and go, actually, it isn't well, as crazy I mean, as it sounded, for example, right? You know? yeah. it, it, but but that's, it's, that's not crazy. That's what we've been doing. A lot of people would think it was crazy, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, when we yeah, say, yeah. Oh, I wonder if we could manage to, whatever, complete the sentence. And most people would be like, you know, you're out of your minds. But given this environment that we've got, like you said, it's not crazy. It's what we do. No, when, when we do a, a, a digital twin, Right when when we we had the project with the supercluster and they said you know we're gonna do a digital twin of uh, an airplane part manufacturing plant, um, you know um, it was like well how do you do that? You know has anybody done that before? Have we got anybody in the room who's done that? No. Okay. Well, let's just do that anyway, and we did it. I mean that was the project. The project was was to go ahead and 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 do a digital twin, have a full virtual reality with all the simulations. So the thing is is you know, it's not just a matter of being able to take an object and make it look, you know, put it in 3D. You know, we've had that technology for a long time. It's how do you make that object behave as it does in real life? Yeah. All of the simulation and math and, and AI and, you know, things that go on 
around fluid dynamic calculations. Like we, when we did a digital twin of, a, of, of, um, of this manufacturing plant, they have something called a conclave, which is a big oven. This is where they cure the parts, all the glue and, and various different layers of the part, part to make a composite material, is they put it in this thing called a conclave, which is a big oven. Being able to actually visualize how the air flows and how hot that air is when it flows over how many parts and being able to move the parts around and it change. Every time you move a part over here, oh, now the fluid dynamics, oh, look, it's hotter over here. What if I move it here? And being able to play with that, that's the value you get out of a digital twin. It's not well, just imagine, a picture. Yeah, imagine if you'd built that for real and then you... I always think about it like, you know, when you make a kitchen and you always get your kitchen done and then you find out that to open the dishwasher, you, you have to keep this cupboard door closed, right? If you'd have done that as a digital twin before you actually built the real kitchen, you would have figured out that problem before you actually went ahead and did the real. So, you know, the scale to which building an aircraft manufacturing plant sort of could be a million, multi-million dollar mistake if you, oh, the wings needed to be over there. No, anyway, it, right. it's much better to do it digitally before you actually, you know, do your as-built because it's- I was skeptical of the metaverse until you mentioned that industrial application. Sorry, so say that you. again, Sean? I, yeah. I was very skeptical of the metaverse until you mentioned that industrial application. Well, Sorry. I mean, I think Thank it, you. a lot of it, actually, <laughs> the, the real commerce piece of it initially is going to come from video games, but also a lot of industrial, right? You know, there's yeah. no, it's not, you know, Microsoft's HoloLens, for example, is an industrial tool at this point in time. And it's for yeah. people to be able to telepresence onto building sites or to send people into, you know, do various tasks for which they need an expert in their ear who isn't there on site, right? And so all of this stuff around telepresence and holographic uh, stuff at the moment, I think mainly has its uh, use cases in industry and commerce and, and sort of across a more of an enterprise phase, which is typical, right? You know, think about computers in the first place. It wasn't like everybody had a computer on their desk in, in the 70s. Computing was a, it was a enterprise focused initiative. And so we're, we are currently in that phase with the metaverse already for sure. Yeah, right? like Sean, look, look at it this way. This is, this is, this, this all kind of gels something in my mind. If, if you look at it like this, so when you have, you have the internet, the primary drivers for growth of the internet were entertainment and commerce. Okay, that it was, you were, you know, entertaining yourself in whatever way, and certainly there, you know, some more risque ways than others, but you're entertaining yourself, watching, streaming stuff, looking at pictures, looking at, at, at various forms of entertainment, playing video games, buying things, e-commerce, uh, and those were the primary drivers for the growth of the internet as we know it. You're going to see the same thing here. The primary drivers in the metaverse will still be, you know, forms of entertainment and ways in which to, to conduct commerce. But just like the internet, which now permeates every facet of business, there's not a single business it, like I can think of in Canada that doesn't use the internet for something. The same will be the case for the metaverse. It, 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 it's it, yes the, the growth is going to be around those those two things commerce and entertainment but the application is dramatic it, it, the cost savings that you know so you know you know sean you know how they used to do the um airline manufacturing plants when they made one you know how they figured out where to put everything and how to do it yes yeah, they, I don't know they, how to do it, but I know it was not an easy process. That's why you, well, no, you got they would, my they would, attention. They would cut out cardboard cutouts and put them on the floor of the warehouse. 
right? And then and then like in the in the shapes of where all the tools would be. And then they kind of stand around and check their elbow space and you know and kind of try and eyeball it. And then they then they take that away and they draw a layout and they bring an architect in and they they design the building. Right? Imagine the just the impact of the visualization. You know, I talked about the impact of adding simulation simulation to the visualization, but just the impact of visualization where you put the helmet on and now you're standing there and there's the tool and you can finally see that that track that is supposed to be carrying the tool actually runs into a wall. You know, that, that's example. the sort of stuff yeah. that saves millions and millions I mean, of dollars. I mean, that's another, another great, absolutely indispensable. Another great example from, you know, truck manufacturer, right? So we've seen examples of people bringing truck manufacturing into digital space as well. So in the old days of truck manufacturer, they actually used to use clay, put put a clay model of the front of the truck into a wind tunnel and then actually see how the wind went around. Yeah. And, okay, well, that didn't quite work. Let's spend a bunch of money re reconfiguring the clay, try again. But now because that can be all digital, you know, actually put colors onto the airflow so as the airflow moves around the truck, you know, the, the bits that are working can stay in green and the bits that are starting to create yeah. wind resistance can be in red. So that visualization, and then you've got an engineer in Germany in the same room as an engineer from Canada looking at this truck. Okay, I actually think we should move this a little bit. And so, yeah, even those types of applications similar to the to the aerospace factory are just, you know, you almost capitalist in terms of the opportunities around those kinds of things, right? Excellent. Yeah, so let's just think about let's let's try and paint a little bit of a picture. So if we go back to the the beginnings of the internet, so let's say 1995, because I think that was kind of when you know things were just kind of taking shape. You know, there's all the doubters, and you know, well, you can't do that, you can't do this. Um, yeah, yeah. So where are we at today with the metaverse if we were to compare it to where we were at with the internet back in 1995? Well, can I start this one and then hand it off to you? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> I yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, 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 look. The, the um, I was there during the dot com launch. I had a couple of dot com companies uh, uh, during that period, just trying to trying to figure things out at the time. I had a company called AutoNet Marketing. That you know, the idea was we're going to take pictures of cars and put them on the internet. And I'd meet with these car dealers, and they'd be like, first of all, what's the internet? It was 1995, right? So there were people who didn't know that it existed yet. And the second thing they would say is like, nobody will ever buy a car by looking at pictures on a website. I mean, that's just, we already have AutoTrader. What do you, you know, what do you need that for? It is, you know, a complete waste of money. There's not a single person who hasn't gone and looked online before they went and bought a car, right? I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of how it goes. But that company wasn't successful. It was, it was a little bit too early. You know, it was during that period where, you know, the, the, there was a company called Match.com. They launched and they said, well, we'll do it all and we'll just do it all for free, right? Which there was a lot of business plans like that during the dot-com era. Um, <laughs> I don't uh, think it's the same Match.com that's around these days. Right? No, it's a different Match.com. That's a new Because that's not free for sure, I know. No, that's not <laughs> My friend told me that that's no, not free. It was, <laughs> it was <laughs> a different Match.com. It was. It was. It wasn't. It was. Uh, they they went away, and the other guys took over the name. But anyway, the 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 um, the point here is that there's there's two things that are going to happen. Things are people are going to have to figure things out. There's going to be a gold rush, and people are going to be figuring things out. So great position to be in, selling the tools and technology, the picks and shovels during that gold rush. 
The second point is, is that the there are some things to watch out for, and this is what we keep bringing up, is that there's going to be a lot of folks out there that say that will will, will just use the buzzword of metaverse and, and try to, you know, take advantage of that momentum and so on. Um, look closely at the business plans. You know, does this company really have the 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 you know the team to be able to make it happen do they really actually have revenue do they are they building technology do they have something they own is there you know all of those sorts of things of course i say all those things because you know i'm very confident about us having them and so on but it is something it's something to watch out for so when you know when you're asking you know what do you think we have, see coming um, you know, it's going to be fast and it's gold rush that we're going to all be facing as, as these companies all jump on the bandwagon of metaverse. And really we have to look carefully at these companies as we, as we, you know, and, 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 you know, I know you guys do a great service in doing that and we, we appreciate the opportunity to present ourselves, but, you know, make sure that you do your due diligence, make sure that you're seeing this happen. There's going to be a lot of great companies. Like, don't get me wrong. I, you know, it's not going to be a bunch of, it's not just Amped and all the other guys. There's going to be a lot of great companies that go after this business and go after what the opportunities within the metaverse are. But there's also going to be, you know, a lot of buzz around it as we see this gold rush happen. All right. And James, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, we're talking about 1995. Uh, the research that I've done sort of indicates that there was roughly about 14 million people online uh, connected to the internet in 1995, so obviously it grew pretty fast. Uh, but the interesting piece is today there's actually about two and a half billion gamers already, sort of in one form or another, participating in the metaverse already, right? So, I'm, I mean, gold rush is one way to put it, but I also think that the adoption rate, you know, between 1995 and 2021 for the previous internet is going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot faster in terms of people realizing the value of what we're doing. Uh, for this next chapter of the 3D web, and, you know, and to continue with Anthony's sort of story about, you know, the way in which in 1995, you know, the car car guys and car showroom guys would sort of just say, well, nobody's ever going to look at pictures on the internet in order to buy a car. I mean, I actually think in some ways, you know, with 3D models of cars and with ultra high-end renderings of cars and the ability to come in and sort of sit inside the car and take it for a test drive, and then not only that, but when you look at heads-up displays on windshields when you're actually driving or, you know, the sort of stuff that's going to happen as we move to self-driving fleets and things like that, you know, the intersection between the 3D web and the real world is, you know, just is just going to get adopted so much more quickly than the 2D internet was, you know, over the last, whatever, 25, 26, 30 years, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really, it's going to happen very quickly. And, uh you know, I, and I do believe that it will create more economic upside than the previous chapter of the internet, right? So, right. Well, I think every time there's been kind of that revolution with technology and innovation, it creates multiple more like branches, right? So I think you're kind of seeing this, you know, move into the metaverse is affecting literally everything. Whereas the, you know, the 2D internet was kind of, you know, like you said, it was entertainment and, and commerce and that but i think now with the metaverse i mean it's literally affecting yeah. everything like everyone well, every single sector out there is yeah and i think the key the thing is so i think the key thing is you know we have a bit of a you know one of the books that we try and encourage everybody who joins amp to read is called exponential organizations you know salim ismail's book and so when you look at exponential growth it was pretty mind-blowing when you look at exponential growth within a single sector right so if you look at exponential growth within say just computing that's one thing 
But now when you start to compound exponential growth, you've got exponential growth in compute. You've got exponential growth in miniaturization. You've got exponential growth in, in game technology. You've got, so all of these things, exponential growth going on in crypto and DeFi, right? And then all of these things come together. And so what happens is you just end up in this environment where the exponential growth is compounded and so, you know, so many times over. And as a result of that, it's, uh, you know, quite mind blowing in terms of the speed with which this progress happens. Right. So, yeah. Very I mean, interesting point. Right. Yeah. No, James, it, like you mentioned, I think one factor that plays into it is the demographic change. We have the millennials right. and also Gen Z that's coming into it and they're very yeah. much into DeFi, crypto, blockchain, and they are going to push that wave of metaverse. Um, you know, analysts expect that Gen Z would sort of peak in 2030s. So we've got well, a I mean, long way ahead of us is, to go. Yeah, so one interesting piece of information there is, you know, I did a presentation last week um, sort of looking at demographics in the video game sector. And, um, you know, about 70% of US adults now play video games, right? And so, you know, that's partly because we are all, we grew up with video games, you know, Atari 2600 back in the early days. And so there's a lot of things that have happened, I think, as a result of that sea change of parents and educators now viewing video games in particular as being positive, you know, having a positive role in society in terms of being able to keep you connected with your friends when you're not being able to play with them or educational components about gaming and things like that, right? And so what I think is happening is that, you know, kids who maybe have been creating their own environments using Minecraft or you know, people who are looking at creating content within these virtual worlds, you know, they're much more open to the idea of potentially even earning a real living in a digital space, right? And so, you know, as you look at Matthew Ball saying that he thinks that the metaverse is going to represent the next great labor platform, again, we've already had a couple of generations of people who've been practicing with that, right? You know, there are a lot of kids out there who've spent many, many, many hours laboring inside Minecraft to build amazing worlds and amazing environments, right? And so it's really just, you know, in the same way that crypto and blockchain kind of developed out of virtual currencies and video games, you know, when Matthew says that he sees the metaverse as being the next great labor platform, it's really the same kind of continuation from, you know, people getting in there to, to do all different types of stuff. And then I think, you know, Sean, you mentioned, you know, um, decentralized finance and sort of tokenization. And really, you can see that that's already happening. People are starting to be rewarded in a video game environment for what they do. But ultimately, I think within a couple of decades and possibly even sooner, people are going to start to be rewarded with tokens for the work that they're actually doing within these 3D environments as well, right? Like the real work. And uh, so again, that's another example of how innovation is going to be uh, generated by what's going on in the video games industry, right? You wanted to get Anthony's opinion on DeFi. How is AMPS going to lay the groundwork for the incorporation of payment, DeFi, and crypto, which was on the presentation. I do not intend to get you in trouble with the regulators, so please disclose as much as you wish or, you know, without giving away too much. Well, well, first of all, uh, the, the better expert with regards to DeFi uh, is James, as opposed to me. Okay, so we'll go back to James. Uh, if you want to talk the tech behind DeFi, and you want me to explain you know, what type of computes required to manage DeFi, the security around it, any of those sorts of things, I'm your man. But if you want well, to and that's about, crucial too. I mean, and yeah, I think it's it, it, yeah. we, we should focus on that a little bit because, you know, for example, there's a lot of people worried about, you know, as people start to collect, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to sound too derogatory, but, you know, whatever. People are collecting, you know, 8-bit, you know, monkeys and 8-bit kittens and 8-bit this and that. 
you know, the amount of energy that's required to generate 10,000 NFT 8-bit cats, right, is not insignificant, right? And as, as the world switches to this type of finance and, you know, digital scarce value and all this sort of stuff, we have to have green sustainable computing, right? And that's a line for Anthony to take over and talk about green sustainable computing. <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly what I want to no, know. No, no, I mean, we've got to do it, right? I mean, because I, I can talk about how, you know, we can perceive of having, for example, tokenization of the relationship between AMPs and its customers, right? You need a certain amount of render. You have a certain number of AMP render tokens. You can use them. Maybe you could trade them. Maybe, the, you know, the demand for this compute can be sort of, you know, pushed out there on a on an auction basis. But I mean, you know, that's sort of stuff that, you know, we'll deal with as and when it becomes viable. But I do think, you know, the the, the more important answer to that question is about how do we have a sustainable digital compute future um you know more than you know will amp have its own token at some point in the future we might but you know who knows no i mean so what, what i was trying to get yeah so, what i was trying so, to get to the point is that because investors are going to be watching this at, at dinner for day this is about the investors i wanted to see how are you going to utilize this DeFi, crypto and blockchain to further advance your project and what should investors be aware of for the near term, medium term, and the long term? Because this is an exciting topic. Sure. Sure. Well, there, there's there's a couple of pieces to it. Uh, certainly, uh, fungible and non-fungible tokens uh, are going to be key in the metaverse in general. So, any content that gets created, uh, uh, you know, may, for example, ha be made non-fungible to manage scarcity, to manage license, uh, you know, those sorts of things to manage the who, you know, to manage these assets as they get created, because you don't want, for example, to be able to create an avatar of yourself and then people are using it to do horrible things and, and you've no, no control over it and things like that. There's there's places for that blockchain management of digital assets to come into play that will definitely be part of what we're working on uh, as part of Departure Lounge, as far as the use of that technology ourselves. We have to also support that technology, be it, from a, a commerce perspective, a, a, an actual cryptocurrency uh, management, or through just managing a blockchain, blockchain uh, uh, with regards to the compute required. Because that's the other point that, that James was bringing up earlier, right? So when you're dealing with the amount of, of compute required to maintain a blockchain and to, to you know, mine coins and do all that sort of stuff, um, it's just not good for the environment. You're, you're, you're burning up uh, megawatts of power. These mining sites are, you know, a, a, a very bad example of it. You're burning up megawatts of power, and and, uh, and at the end of the day, you're just taking all the heat that you generate and exhausting it into the air. Um, the way that we do the computing, and this is, you know, not specific to, to crypto, just in, in general, is that it, it is a concentrated set we try to, to uh, in our data center, we currently capture the heat generated by the servers to heat the surrounding building. And, and the idea here is to make computing greener. So for example, we have our virtual workstation. We've talked about that a lot. And that's just, I mean, it's a piece of compute. So you can apply this across the board on various different types of computing. But I'm going to use the virtual workstation because it's easy to bring home. So Virtual workstation is easy to bring home because you currently buy one. It's there's one sitting under your desk right now, Sean. You've got a PC at home, or a laptop, or you know an iPad, whatever it happens to be, right? To be able to deal with the amount of computing that you need in the future to create this type of content, you need a really powerful computer. And you could buy one. They're not going to be cheap. It's going to be about you know five six grand, something like that, to be able to get a 
a very powerful content creation machine, uh, depending on what bells and whistles you want. Um, but that's how you've normally done it. When you do that, let's say you're a studio of 300 people. That means you bought 300 of those boxes, 300 CPUs, 300 GPUs, 300 um, power supplies, 300 boxes that you've now put under the desk. Each one of those consumes about 500 watts of power, thereabouts. So you're dealing with 150 kilowatts or so of, of power that you're going to be sucking up to support those 300 workstations. In, an, in a, a virtual studio with a virtual workstation, instead of 300, you're dealing with 17 servers. Instead of uh, 300 GPUs, you're dealing with 51 GPUs. Instead of, you know, so, so the amount of, of actual manufacturer impact, carbon impact around building it is a lot less. Then on a power basis, you, did, you get about 66% savings on your power. So instead of 500 watts per user, you're whatever that works out to be, like 100 and change watts uh, uh, per user. That's a dramatic decrease in the amount of energy being consumed on a per user basis by, by, by managing your compute in this way. And it's also faster and, and more flexible and you, know, you can do all kinds of great things with it that come along with it. Um, so really it's, it's, it's gonna be about those two things, get, making sure that the, the computing that you're doing is as green as possible and then uh, support and, to, and doing so so you, that you can support all the compute that's behind blockchain and DeFi and then using DeFi where it makes sense in, for example, tokenization of assets, maybe, you know, as James said, tokenization of render time or something like that in the future that we might do for Amped ourselves. Uh, but we will certainly be dealing with that sort of stuff pretty much out of the gate with departure lounges, assets are created and things like that. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So. Just to summarize quickly, for someone like me to zoom out, someone who's not a nerd or a geeky when it comes to tech, like Graham. I've improved. Well, I don't like you said like Graham, but you were actually pointing at all three of us, I know. We wear our nerd badge with pride here, so it's all right. Here we, here we all do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So do, I yeah. just wanted to summarize it quickly. So what AMP does for our investors to know, you provide the infrastructure for the entry into the metaverse. And you try to do that while limiting the negative environmental externalities to talk economics. Um, and while you try to do that, you also create a tremendous amount of value for shareholders because you have the first move advantage, you have the tech, and you have the personal, so human and financial capital at your position um, to further advance your uh, project that you have, especially with this rate fundraising. Obviously, you have the track record um, of what you've done over the past couple of years. And with the departure lounge, lounge, which you can't disclose much of, we are looking forward to what you can do, um, an all-encompassing project that would include even the likes of DeFi, crypto, blockchain, which I never thought Amp would get into. But that's super exciting for me as an investor, and I'm sure all the investors out there. We get into that 40-minute mark. Graham, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, I, not, more so comments. Um, but uh, you know we, we've gone quite a while here. You know I, I'm just you know personally excited for some of the things that are coming up that that Amped and Departure Lounge are going to be a part of. You know I've been in the video gaming pretty much my entire life as well. So to see this kind of all kind of take form and some of the things that we're going to be able to do in the future, like you know putting on AR glasses and you know being part of you know 
events and, and, and that. It's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, just one more quick thing for James and Anthony, but what has you most excited about the metaverse? <laughs> Difficult question. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'll take, I'll make a quick comment. Number one, you know, I just want to stress that it's all amped, right? So, you know, um, Anthony had this vision way back. Not, I won't say it was 16. It was before that, right? Hosting company for the metaverse. So to me, what we're doing at this point in time is we're just building on top of that foundation in a way with things that just naturally emerge from the opportunity that the infrastructure provides to us, right? So, you know, yes, we've all had a couple of decades in content development as well. But so so it just makes sense to sort of build on this foundation with these new initiatives. So really it's all, um, you know, it's still AMPD and it's still one ticker and, you know, we're all sort of, you know, happy that we're moving forward sort of on this basis, you know, together right so that's the first thing to say and I'll, then i'll go on that's given me a bit of a second to sort of talk about what's the most exciting thing in the metaverse so you know previously i was saying i oh, wouldn't it be cool if so for me one of and i'm just riffing here but you know and i'm not saying we're doing this because you know the whole disclaimer thing but you know one of my favorite bands of all time aside from iron maiden was the doors and in fact roadhouse was called roadhouse after roadhouse blues which is i woke up this morning i got myself a beer the future's uncertain, the end is always near, right? And so one of the things that I would really like to be able to do would be to sort of celebrate the whatever it is, 55th anniversary of Roadhouse Blues with a concert in the metaverse. Who knows, you know, Jim Morrison might be there. We could have current artists performing and being replaced every now and again with folks. So, I mean, the idea of being able to take a band, put them in the Fillmore East that doesn't exist anymore, um, it's right there, right? And so, you know, as I often say, this is a business that's free of the constraints of time, space, and mortality, which when you hear yourself say that, you hear yourself say that, you think, wow, free of the constraints of time, space, and mortality, but it's really true, right? And so that's actually quite exciting. Yeah, I just got shivers well, at that. Honestly, you know like thinking about the things we can do. I mean, you know, how am I gonna top that? Like, you know, really, you know, time, space, well, we, As long as it's got, I tell you, as long as some mechs walk into that life, <laughs> that'll top it. It'd be like, oh my god, look, it's like the mech warrior. Yeah, mech. Well, I, well, I have a thrill when a, when a when a mech walks into to somewhere in the metaverse and it has something to do with that. Sure, I will. But I, there's so much to be excited about. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm really happy to 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 be alive during this part. I mean, like even if it, it, I, I'd be excited to to be you and, and to be, to not just be creating it, to be getting to experience it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the only cool, the, the super cool thing for me is I get to see it a couple months before you do sometimes. <laughs> okay. So that, 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 that's kind of fun. And that's kind of neat. You know, I got to see a movie the other day that, that, uh, that one of our customers sent to me before it's out and you know, Oh, wow. That's, that, that, that gives me a thrill, but you know, Doing these, doing these things, uh, um, you know, gives us a little bit of insight and to get to see what's coming. Um, but it's not very much longer before you see it yourselves. That's true. And so as the much as I'm excited about the content and all the things that's, that are being created, eh, I'm only going to see it just a little while before you do. Well, and, and the one thing we can't just as excited as I am. The one thing we can't escape from just yet is the constraint of the speed of light, right? Which is where I'm which is where all this stuff around low latency comes into it, right? Because time, space, mortality, fair enough. Speed of light. Can't get around. Yeah, unfortunately, Einstein right. laid that out. There's no getting around that one. 
Oh, yeah. um, and uh, and that's why we need lots of pods. That's okay. That. We'll yeah. do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks guys again for for joining us. It was you know very eye opening discussion. I hope the investors enjoyed it as much as I did. Just being able to you know gab about the the metaverse and and where things are going. And looking forward to having you back to talk talk more about departure lounge when that's all. Um, completed uh, and uh, more about Amped as as things continue to develop. I think we're at the in the right space at the right time. The metaverse is is coming. It's here, in fact, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time. Actually, Graham, absolutely. If if I could, I just wanted to to thank the uh, the investors that have come in from from the StockGram community. Um, you know, we've got a lot of guys that have, have, have participated in this private placement. Uh, and uh, and just you know want to take the opportunity to say thanks and, and yeah, thank we appreciate the support and, and the belief and uh, and we're going to do everything we can to to make this company what we think it can be. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anthony James. You've set the expectations right. up there, and I'm sure you can meet them very quickly in All the right, near well, term, medium term, in the long term. Thank you. It's so always much. a pleasure, guys. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this interview. To hear more interviews as well as our other investor education content please subscribe to the podcast and visit our website at stockfamgroup.com where you will gain full access to all of our free educational platforms. Also, to view the video versions of much of our content, follow us on YouTube at StockFamTV.